Yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. Since, uh, since it is the last one and you got, just got finished uh, eating all those candy bars on break, why don't you stand, bump elbows with your neighbor, and let's pray. Okay, one more chance to kind of get the blood flowing. Since we don't, uh, are not doing uh, you know, a praise set and worship set, then you need something to get the blood flowing here, and so let's uh, do that while we pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this, uh, this opportunity again to get together. And Lord, Wednesday of a conference week is like, Friday of a work week, and um, uh, Lord, I thank you for the time that the volunteers at this church have spent, Lord, and the staff and others, all the back office stuff that has to be done, all the logistics to cover for all the areas, for all of the guests, Lord, they've gone over and above, and uh, Father, I I thank you for that. I praise you. I I pray a special blessing upon all of those who have served us and, and helped in all the different areas. Lord, I don't want us to take it that for granted. Um, these are your people, and they are so special. And Lord, they're confirming to us their walk with you in your word and in your spirit by, by the things they've done for us this week. And so, Lord, I thank you. I pray that uh, you'd give us the time and the attention just to look into your word again now and tonight. And, uh, Lord, to come away from this conference with things that have actually constitutionally changed us on the inside, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Yeah, if you you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. So, uh, Pastor Bartell was talking about, you know, UFO sighting and musing out loud about why is it that there are more UFO sightings seem like on the, you know, West Coast. And, and so that got me to thinking because I, I like to follow the science. So if I were going to follow the science, what I would want to do is try and plot UFO sightings against states that have legalized marijuana. What do you think? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just wondering. So let's just have a conversation in our convocation today um, about the Holy Spirit and uh, what are the objective, verifiable, testable, identifiable manifestations in your life to evidence the Holy Spirit. I mean, if the Holy Spirit is in control, what will you see differently, hear differently, deliberate differently, decide differently, and how will you act differently? What is there so that you know and we know that the Holy Spirit is in you? See, the Bible shows us, and this is my thesis for today's study, there are objective, testable, verifiable, and biblically defined manifestations in your life as evidence of having the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there are five things that I want us to learn today. Now someone has said there are at least 33 things that happen when you get saved. But when you ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord, which is the only way that you can become a Christian, then the Holy Ghost becomes resident. And the question is, is he president? And that's what I want us to focus on maybe in this last session together because when he is president in residence, then five huge things are going to take place. 
I mean, five huge things take place. So all I want to do in this last session is continue the brick-by-brick method that Pastor Bartel began with. And let's just go down brick by brick. And, you know, frankly, I think sometimes we think certain issues, certain topics, certain things are really hard to understand because, frankly, we miss the simplicity. You know, and Paul talks about the simplicity of the gospel. Well, a lot of people miss that. And, And so this is how you find and field the provision of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit produces because this is what God promises us. And, and I'm going to simply walk us through the Word of God as it stands so that you can see each one of these five vital, essential things. So first off, read with me, if you will, Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So when the Holy Spirit is in control, and this is number one, you are baptized with the Spirit to become a witness about the person and work of Jesus. So the provision of the Spirit is given to empower your witness, but you must witness with Him. So it is you and the Spirit, not you or the Spirit, Verse 8, watch, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, uh, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so, so there are dispensational aspects to, to this. We understand that. But at the same time, these are also initial and foundational things. So the, the, the foundational things that we still live on today had to have some initial starting point, and, and that is what this is. And that is why the Holy Spirit is such a key doctrine, I think, for, for us and for our fellowship right now. I mean, anyone who is walking in the Spirit is going to have opportunities, opportunities for Jesus. Either that's witnessing, either that's you know, talking about what God's done, maybe what God's done at this conference, maybe what he's done in your life, maybe what he's done in your church, and, 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 and you know, you're going to have the Holy Spirit there with you in those opportunities, even though, even though yielding may mean you got to stop at the roundabout instead of just going straight through. So following, walking, and yielding bring you opportunities that the Holy Spirit's going to be with you in. But most, most Americans want religion. And they do not want a controlling spiritual authority other than themselves. They want spirituality. So they're still seeking a spirit of some kind. But they do not want a controlling spiritual authority. And I think that's why biblical authority has been so attacked by Satan... And if you fail to let the Spirit fulfill His purpose, then He's grieved. He's not gone, but He's grieved. And if He's grieved, even though He's not gone, then what good is that to you? So the baptism of the Spirit has to do with what happens to you at conversion. 
So it happens the moment you get saved. So in John 14 to 16, Jesus talks to the disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion. But after Jesus dies, and even after he rose from the dead, these same disciples get scared and they hide in that same upper room from the, from the Jews. And, and they hide there until their baptism by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice, this is our first point for study. Baptism and filling are kind of opposite in meaning because baptism is your immersion in something while filling is something inserted into you. So turn, you know, keep a finger here in Acts chapter 2, but go back to Acts 28 again, uh, just for a moment. Acts 20, uh, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 28, Acts chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 28. One clear manifestation of Holy Spirit baptism is you feel a freedom to talk about Jesus. And it doesn't say that you will do witnessing. What, what, what he says in Acts 1.8 is this, something, this is something you become not just something pre-planned and programmed that you do, and, and, you know, and, and still yet, for us, part of, it is part of the going in the mission of the Great Commission. So this is, I'm going to say this is still for us. So they started off hiding because they were afraid of the Jews, but after their baptism with the Holy Spirit, they start speaking boldly to those same Jews about the Messiah that they had just crucified. And Isaiah already promised them in Isaiah 28, verse 11, which, which we've looked at. You know, with st stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. So Paul says tongues are for a sign to the Jews as a fulfillment of this prophecy. So for the early church, Paul states in Corinthians, and he says very plainly in Corinthians, look, do not forbid to speak in tongues. Well, okay, but put that in context, because as you know, Pastor Bartell already mentioned the number 40, okay, so, so let's say in general terms, Jesus is crucified and 30 A.D., so in A.D. 30, Jesus is crucified. See, he's 33, and the calendar's this way and that. All right, and then, so for, how long was it? It was 40 years before the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. So 40 years, a number of testing, number of trial. So they're going, they're going through 40 years. You know, surely every good Jew, every Jew who considered themselves a Jew, at least once in their lifetime would make the Hajj. And they would go to Jerusalem, and they would keep one of the feasts, and they would walk into the temple, and they would see, they would see John healing a lame man, and they would listen to Peter speaking in tongues, and they would, they would come back with exactly what was going on, that God was changing the rules, but changing the rules really meant kind of a cool thing. And and then they would take that back out with them. And so Paul says, it, within that same window of time, tells the Corinthians, don't forbid to speak in tongues because it's for unbelievers. And my unbelieving Jewish brethren, they need to hear this. 
So back in Acts 2, verse 5, verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven, verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Verse 13, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Why? Because it looked like they were under the influence, at least in one limited sense, because when you are filled with the Spirit, you are acting under His influence. If He's not in control, you are not filled. But if you are acting under His influence, that means you are less intimidated, you are more forward, you are more brash, you even talk to strangers, because Drunks are everybody's friend, and, and alcohol enables introverted people to start schmoozing. So you become somebody when you are under the influence. So if you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, well then, you know, your fear dissipates, or maybe it doesn't even come up, and you kind of let yourself go, and you're able now to tell sinners about Jesus who loves them and gave himself for them. So if you do not at least sometimes experience that, then maybe the Spirit's not in control. But hold it, if the Spirit is not in control, then you're lying on your baptism. Your baptism in the Spirit. At salvation, because you were immersed in Him, the Spirit brings power to have boldness which goes against your nature and is out of character. So Peter, the one who chickened out three times before the cock crowed, he stands up in verse 14, look at what he says. Ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing there ain't no bars open at 9 a.m. But what has us acting like this is the work of the Holy Spirit and what he produces in our lives because the Spirit is now provoking us with what he promised in Isaiah 28 to give you that sign of impending judgment if you do not listen to the gospel message, which Peter goes on to preach. Okay, so what happens? Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, this time in water. You know, sometimes I wish, I wish we had that as the same requirement for water baptism in my church, that they, they have to receive things gladly. You know, sometimes people, you know, you can get baptized and it's like, well, what'd you get baptized in? Pickle juice? <laughs> I mean, did you just come here to criticize? Is, uh, you know, what is wrong? So, okay, they, but they, they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, which is why we know water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. Water baptism has to do with your church membership. I will say, because it is your physical confession about the spiritual baptism at getting saved. So the church has two ordinances given by God. We've got two officers, we've got two ordinances. And one guards the door of the church, 
and the other guards the ongoing membership of the church. And baptism guards the door of the church because it is the mechanism by which we ensure that unless somebody lies to us, we've got a regenerate church membership. It's not what has always been had in America as far as Christianity and churches go. So, so what happens is no one gets in who does, does not mnemonically display, meaning a display that uses imagery and action on their part to show me that the Holy Ghost baptized them spiritually. Now, by the same token, the mnemonic display that we do at the Lord's Supper allows you to examine yourself as you return to your first love. Because, you know, I don't know how you view it, but every time we observe the Lord's Supper, you are, you are teleported back 20 centuries. And you are put in the same room with the same physical elements and taking part in that same meal and uh you know i know they're they're gonna send captain kirk up in space well who cares about that i mean i've been time traveling ever since i got saved i've been time traveling every every time we have the lord's supper if you view it correctly Uh, it's you know it takes me back to my first love it takes me back to the moment when i first got saved and I, and I can return and I can get that in mind and that mnemonic display that we are commanded to partake of means I can examine myself in the context of what Christ did to save me. Now turn to Acts chapter 4. But here's what I think. Since Baptists are the only ones who have a correct view of the ordinances. I mean, for the most part, practically speaking. Of the, of the major denominations, Baptists Baptist are really only ones who have a correct view of the ordinances. So we, of all people, should be in a state of continuous revival. So I don't know how often you observe the Lord's Supper at your church. In, in case our church, we're kind of doing it every fifth Sunday. Uh, you know, a fifth Sunday month, so we do it four times a year. Uh, That's probably not often enough, but at least that means you cannot go more than four months with a grudge in your heart against some brother or some sister in the church. Or you shouldn't. You shouldn't be able to if you're taking the Lord's Supper seriously as you should. So we of all people should be living in a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. But talk about church growth. I mean, they go from 120 to 3,000 on the very first day of the Spirit's immersion and indwelling. But not everyone in Acts who is saved uh, gets and, and gets baptized in the Spirit actually speaks in tongues. So here's my second point for study. Speaking in tongues is not the visible manifestation of the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Wagging of t- tongues is. 
It's not speaking in tongues. It is a wagging of your tongue. Watch, because this is what the Holy Ghost produces. Verse 8, Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Peter's put on trial by his enemies. This time he's not running scared like he did whenever the maidservant questioned him uh, there before the crucifixion at the high priest's house. I mean, something happened to him, and in the meantime, what happened to him was he got guts. And those guts came from the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and let me just press pause there parenthetically and bloviate if I could, if I could just bloviate for a minute. Because if you are laying up in some spiritual corner whining, well, that's not of God. Because the Holy Ghost was sent to give you guts. So if you don't have guts, it means you're not walking in the Spirit. He gives you guts to stand in front of the people who judge you and state your case from the witness box with power. So the problem in pulling off a sanctified life, living in all sufficiency, abounding to every good work, is solved by the Holy Spirit giving you guts. And I know that you're saying, look, Alan, prove that. Okay, you know, I don't, I don't use much Greek. But I do know that the Greek word is splankna. As that was kind of a fad a few years ago. Maybe it still is with some people. There was, uh, there was a gal named Sarah Thiessen, and she wrote a book on redeeming energy psychology. So you know the whole energy thing that uh, exists in Buddhism and Hinduism and other places as a result of the uh, demonic and idolatrous activity set, uh, set up by uh, devils after the flood, well, she, she's out to redeem it. And, and here's what I know. Demons cannot do exegesis, which is how you know something is a doctrine of demons. They can't do exegesis, but I can. You know, so she said that her Greek professor in Bible college said that the word meant this and it had to do with validating everything that she does in her particular type of counseling divination. Well, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the splankna of Jesus Christ. Bowels, because that is what the Holy Spirit gives. He gives you the guts of Jesus. Okay, okay. Philippians 1 get, didn't get you, maybe Philippians 2. Look at Philippians 2, verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ. Wait, if there be, therefore, any paraclete in Christ. The same word, translated comforter. If there be any comforter, 
in Christ. Well, there is. He promised it. He sent it. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. So he gives us the consolation of Christ through the guts and the mercies of Christ. Now turn to Colossians chapter 3. Because this is what having fellowship of the Spirit means. Colossians 3 and verse 12 says, this is one of those things, I think Paul, you know, God knew you wouldn't believe, even as simply as it is worded. It'd be a difficult concept, so he explains it twice. Verse 12, Colossians 3 verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on bowels, of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Wow, now, now we discover the fellowship of the Spirit gives us the mind of the Spirit by bringing us the fruit of the Spirit because He gives it to us in our guts. I mean, these are just simple things about the Holy Spirit because this is the theology of intestinology. That is what I am bloviating because that is what you do when you talk about the theology of intestinology. And you're looking at me right now like you need a colon cleanse. <laughs> so occasionally in, you know, in our institute, we have a course um, in catalog, I think it's called Systematic Theology, so that, it, so that it will be received by any other schools that, you know, maybe students could get credit from. I, I teach it, and I never called it that. I always call it a survey of theology. As we tell, we'll take the beginning of it, and I'll talk about, uh, you know, I will critique uh, historical theology and dogmatic theology and systematic theology and uh, say, look, you know, throw that out. Here's what we need. Here's all I'm doing. I'm taking your discipleship lessons, and I'm weaving theology around those discipleship lessons. Uh, because you should only teach, should be an iceberg. You should only teach the tip of the spear. You know, you, sh- you should only be teaching this part of, but you need to know all the rest of this. In case they ask any question, you know, so you know what's going on. And, and so we just take the discipleship lessons because, you know, no systematic theology has a theology of prayer. So I, I take half a session, we go through a, theology of prayer. Well, I think next time I will add a theology of intestinology because this is my third point for study. The Holy Spirit is a person who wants your availability so that he can give you his ability and work through your relationships to accomplish God's purpose by his power. Now, let me illustrate that irrefutable idea because one time a kid was walking to school and every day he'd walk to school, the bully would come out and beat him up and Scott Farkas would come out from behind a tree or something, beat him up and he'd come home crying. His father said, well, why don't you just fight him next time? So next day he he went to go to school and the kid beat him up again. And I mean, he just couldn't do it in, in the flesh. In his own flesh, he did not have what it would take to beat the bully. So day after day, that bully came out, took, you know, you know would, would beat him up. But now this one day, he's going into school, and the bully comes out, takes one look at him, and runs the other way. Well, what was different that day? 
Well, that day, the father followed his son to school. See, if daddy is behind you, you can walk with some guts. Not guts because you have the strength to beat the bullies. But guts because you have a person you yourself call alongside to help. You know, and that's just part of the paradox of Christian living. You're dead yet alive. You're crucified in Christ, yet not I, but Christ. So, okay, that's part of the paradox. Well, here's, here's another part of that same paradox is that, you know, Christ has come in you now. You have, you have the Holy Spirit sealed on the inside, and yet he, he is the comforter. He is the paraclete. He's one that you've got to call alongside. So he is inside, but that does not negate the fact that you've got to call him alongside. And if you don't give, if you do not defer to the Holy Spirit in that way, then you do not get his power. So the Holy Spirit helps every Christian who is sold out. He takes every Christian who's sold out to biblical authority and walking in obedience to him, and he gives them guts. Okay, you know Superman. Superman is a fairly meek and mild-mannered guy named Clark. But when he gets in that phone booth, everything changes. I mean, they're pushing around Clark Kent. I mean, they're pushing. It's kind of like all those Popeye cartoons you ever watched. And Bluto is just beating him to death. Okay, they're messing with him, but do not let the man get in a telephone booth. Now, I don't know what he uses today since there are no more telephone booths, but when he would get in that booth unseen, boy, he would unhook the tie, he'd be pulling off his shirt, he'd be rubbing Vaseline on his face, and he comes out not saying, I hope you don't, but saying, I wish you would. Now, I graduated Hickman Mills, and in my neighborhood, you could not come out saying, I hope you don't. Man, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. No. You had to be tearing off your coat, rolling up your sleeves, saying, I wish you would. We have too many Reformed Christians when what we need is transformed Christians who start living in the unseen realm so that they will become a transformed person. Use the seen realm of visible Scripture to be your portal into the invisible, mystical realm of Holy Spirit filling. Because as you put off the old man and the real you burst forth, you now have got the guts. The Holy Ghost comes inside, the Holy Spirit comes outside, the Holy Comforter comes alongside. So you can rip off the weakness of the flesh, you can stick out your chest as a big C on it, Christian man. That is why you do not and should not be intimidated by the enemy in this world's order. He does what he does. We're told what he does. We're not ignorant of his devices. But God is calling you to rise up with guts. 
above all circumstances that intimidate, above all sins that enslave, above all enemies that oppose. You need a holy helper, and that is the provisioning person that you've got. So don't let the C stand for chicken man. He's everywhere, he's everywhere. Bok, 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 bok. You don't have guts, you're all feathers. We have entirely too many Liberace Christians. Glam believers with no guts. You are all hat and no horses. Turn to chapter 6. You go to work and you're outnumbered. But instead of being like a little puppy with your tail between your legs, the Holy Spirit starts wagging. Because the Holy Ghost gives you guts to go public. So if you're a CIA Christian, if you're a stealth Christian, and nobody knows that you're a Christian but you, well then, apparently the Holy Spirit is not in control. Because the Holy Ghost will give you boldness to preach the gospel in the right place, at the right time, with the right words. So let's, let's talk for just a moment about the development of future leadership in the church. Acts 6 Verse 3, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So they got to be honest reports because it's business. We don't want corruption taking place here. So now what happens? Verse 7, and the word of God increased. And since the word of God increased, the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And, and, and even a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I mean, scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, they weren't seeing it. But, but the priests, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Once they got spirit-controlled leadership, then even more people heard about Jesus when you are baptized by the Holy Ghost, when you are walking in the Spirit, He gives you the boldness to meet people in their moment of restlessness. Because the priest saw, the priest knew. I mean, whatever was being denied by the high priest and his ilk, no, the priest kind of knew, yeah, that, uh, you know, that, that veil in the, in, the, in the temple, that tore. I mean, that's a huge veil. It took all of us a long time to patch that sucker up. I mean, we kind of, ah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of okay. I mean, whatever God's saying, he's saying there where people can see it. And, you know, uh, probably in terms of discipleship in that particular setting, a lot of it came through the priests and the priests who, the priests who would not have been at the temple all the time, but scattered among the cities of Israel and teaching in their synagogues to the children and to the others there. So, so, that, so that's the first manifestation. What is the second Ephesians 5, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So let's not sightsee over old ground, but let me just start with a basic spiritual brick. The second provision of the Holy Spirit. This is number two. You are filled with the Spirit because your body becomes His temple. 
We looked at baptism, but let's, let's examine the Zen of Spirit filling for a moment. Uh, go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Keep, keep your finger here, maybe in Ephesians 5, but 1 Corinthians 12. The reason there's so much conflict with other people in your life, maybe it's because of selfishness. Maybe it's, maybe it's lack of spirit filling. If you can, again, if you can't say amen, just say, oh me, and the person next to you will never know that you are not saying amen. Self cancels out submission, just like submission cancels out pride. So God mandates, this is a God mandate, that you either yield to the Spirit or you do not get the manifestation of the Spirit. Well, what that means is, and this is our fourth point for study, you don't have to get more of the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit. you got to get rid of more of you. That is, that's why, you know, it's simple wording, and yet, you know, we claim that it's too complicated to understand because what it's doing, it was saying and teaching us is something that we really don't want to do. We don't want to submit to that controlling spiritual authority, but we want to look spiritual. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and, and, after the semicolon, have been all made to drink into one spirit. So that verse contains both the baptism and the filling. So nothing is missing in your life once you get saved. Nothing. But more of you should be lost over time. Therefore, being filled is commanded. Now go to Galatians 4. Uh, baptism was something God did without you because it was tied to your salvation. So spirit baptism, I had nothing to do with you except he did it to you, but all you had to do to get it was get saved. And filling is something, however, that is on you. As you drink into what you were baptized by, and thereby effectively progress in sanctification. All Christians, all born-again Christians ought to be progressives. What is wrong with you? Why are you not a progressive? You need to be progressing in sanctification so that you are perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 and so you not being filled is the equivalent of the sin of drunkenness. Because you are full of you. And that always leads to extremes. So not being filled with the Spirit is the result of one of two, two things. This is why you are not filled. First letter A, you are not acknowledging the Spirit's presence Therefore, you don't have his power. Or letter B, you are not yielded to the Spirit so that he can fill that part of you that you have been holding back. And really, it's just as simple as that. And that's why Paul calls the Galatians in Galatians 4.19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, 
Okay, I, I came all that way. I, I gave all I gave to preach to you the gospel and, and, and see those two seeds of the Word of God and the Spirit of God conceive new life in your soul and, and you were born again. But you know what? I'm travailing again until Christ be formed in you. Because forming is what filling is. So that's what it does for you. Filling forms you. So we could call the filling the forming, and it leads to the flowing, but before we get to that, so before, before salvation, just, I mean, I'll just think about the simple picture from the simple words that God has given you. Because before salvation, your spirit was cemented to your flesh. And that animated you. But after the spiritual circumcision, what is it that keeps you from being deflated? I mean, your body is still there, your flesh is still there, but your spirit is now not animated by it. So what keeps you from being deflated? Well, well, as you yield your life to the Spirit's control, all the ground you yield is filled with more and more of Jesus. Because praise God, you're supposed to be Christ-like, not Alan-like. Help me, Holy Spirit. Do not be Alan-like. Be Christ-like. This is our fifth point for study. The filling of the Spirit is received when you consciously recognize the Holy Spirit as being in full control. So you are baptized with the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit must preside and not just reside in order for you to be filled. Likewise, doing the work of the Lord in the energy of the flesh only leads to burnout because you're deflated. It only leads to disappointment. It only leads to failure. Now, now what that means, it, it, let me hit you with this definition, that means the filling of the Spirit is the secret to abiding in God's love, obeying God's will, and trusting what God says. Shamanana Laranda should have bought a Honda. So I don't believe speaking in tongues is for today, but if I did, I would do it right there. Because this is the secret. And you are not filled if there is a gap between the, where the Spirit is in your life and the top of your vessel. You, are, you may not be void, but you are without form because you are not Christ-like. So back to Ephesians 5. As soon as you got saved, you got all the Spirit you could hold at that moment. But as you yield more self, you get more filling. And you now become a Zen master Christian by obeying the command to be filled and getting the real energy psychology. I mean, there is a psychology in the Bible. Body, soul, and spirit. Well, this is, this is the energy psychology which has redeemed us. So as you put off and you mortify the old man, so you're crucified in Christ. Crucifixion was a slow death. So you've got to mortify what's been crucified 
and then you are progressively more and more filled with the Spirit. So be under the influence. And you know, alcohol was the best illustration for these formerly nicotine-stained Gentiles because they were all pagan partiers. I mean, everyone in Ephesus understood this idea because everybody went to Oktoberfest and everybody backed it up in the club, twerking, line dancing. So what happens, I know some of you saying, Alan, stop, you know, you're meddling now, not preaching, so stop meddling. <laughs> what happens when you are under the right inner influence? What are the provisions of the Spirit? Well, just keep reading. Verse 19, Ephesians 5. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So third, third, when the Holy Spirit is in control, this is number three, you are flowing with the Spirit into praise and practice. So verses... 19 and 20 are all statements of praise, both public and private, speaking, singing, and thanking. Those are the finite verbs. And you are making melody because you and other believers are in harmony. Hello, somebody. So when the Spirit of God takes control, you begin to display worship first with your praise with your mouth or your mind, in affirming and confessing your adoration. And it's not something that you're coerced into. It's not something you're cajoled into. It's something you cannot help because of what you've got going on on the inside. You can't help but produce it. Your worship is bubbling up into praise. I mean, I tell you, by... By the end last night, after Sam had preached, and, you know, and we're on that last song that we sang like, you know, last night, it was, like, it was like none of the rest of you were there. I mean, for me, it was like nobody else was there. I mean, it was just that good. It was like nobody else was there, me and, me and God. And, you know, I think we get a, such a warped idea of praise because we borrow the mindset of the world. But in actual fact... Um, it's not the praise team up here and, and we are the audience. No, the praise team is just leaders leading the rest of us for the audience who is God. God is the audience. So praise wells up. It overflows in song and hymn and spiritual song. So it doesn't have to be all hymns. Twin fiddles and steel guitar. Even banjo and mandolin. And, 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 and you want to be with the Lord, and you want to be with God's people, and you want to spend time in His house, and you want to pray, and you want to acknowledge God first with your giving, because it is something that wells up from inside by His Spirit. This, this is the provision of the Spirit for you. And I know it's not that He hasn't provided it. If it's not there, it's because you're stifling it. So if you've got to drag yourself to church every Sunday, if giving God the first dime out of every dollar, the first day of every week, and the first part of every day is something that your heart is not in, you are not being controlled by the Spirit. You are not filling and flowing. 
Because the Spirit wants you here with us, raring and ready to go. So the Spirit wants us to have this conference together. And the Spirit wants you and me and us and Him four days away from the world, more or less, and uh, in convocation with the Bible. And uh, we're going we're gonna to praise together because we want people to lead us in corporate expression of our Holy Spirit filling. Now, why did Paul isolate this and distill that out in particular? I think it's because our society lives off their songs. I mean, music influences us. But instead of Lil Wayne, how about a little worship? I mean, instead of Ed Sheeran, how about adoration? Instead of Jason Aldean, how about some blessing? I know you like Elijah, why not hallelujah? You know, Liz, Lizzo and Cardi B, okay, but how about some Thanksgiving, what do you say? <laughs> Can you imagine watching a movie with no soundtrack? They call it pop music because it pops up everywhere. Songs infiltrate and influence our lives. And that is the product you field. That is the produce you have when you are spirit-filled and flowing so that it can influence other lives. Things related to God start being put to rhyme, Busta. Why? Because this is our sixth point for study. Because whatever you are full of on the inside flows out of your life onto others. Now again, let me press pause there parenthetically on that point due to its importance and uh, just have you get uh, John 4 and John 7. Okay, I'm going to be moving toward John 4 and John 7. Faith is first, then filling, then overflowing. At justification, the Spirit baptizes you into Christ as Christ comes into you by the Holy Spirit. But sanctification is you allowing Him to fill you and overflow you. So I, I really want you to catch this King James Bible doctrine. So let me use Bible typology to explain biblical theology. This is the doctrine of the flowing of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit works in three phases in the Bible. And this is Bible typology because it illustrates New Testament truth. So let's not limit ourselves to the filling when the biblical goal is the flowing and our praise has to run us into practice. So watch, John 4, verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of the water of this water shall thirst again. Man, I don't care whose well this is or who you think dug it or what you think you got going on here in Samaria. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. All right? The filling is actually a fountain. So first, this is letter A. First, the Holy Spirit is pictured as an overflowing spring. Now turn to Colossians 2. We are going to get to John 7, but be turning to Colossians 2. 
So we got one baptism. There should be constant filling because that's commanded. The only reason it looks like multiple fillings is because you have unvacated space. You, at that spot, do have a void because it is still being propped up by the flesh and yet there's no spirit behind it. Colossians 2 verse 10, And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. How? How? How is it that I'm complete in Christ and I don't have to worry about principalities and powers because he's the head of all of them? Well, because in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So you being baptized into Christ and the Spirit of Christ being put in you, and when your soul is spiritually circumcised from your flesh, then that initiates a spring, a fountain, for the life-giving, quickening spirits work into your life and then out of your life. So second, here's John 7, second, John 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, how do we know that's not dispensationally something we ought to cut out, you know, we ought to cut out and not? Well, because it goes on to say, you know, this, doesn't, this didn't even actually apply to them right now, but it applies to us. Verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because of Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus is glorified now. Now that the Holy Spirit was sent in Acts chapter 2, and he instituted a peculiar relationship with us as church-age saints. And that relationship is shown in our worship, in our praise, in our positive ministry practice. So now, and this is letter B, the Holy Spirit is likened to an ever-flowing river. Returning to Ezekiel chapter 47. So these ideas, these three fa this three-phase operation of the Holy Spirit was a mystery. It never existed before. And I think Paul sums it all up, and he kind of calls it Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Well, whose glory? God's glory, our glory, and their glory. And you operating through the Holy Ghost is their only hope, Obi-Wan. So what is implanted as a fountain, and then it then flows out as a river, so much so that Ezekiel 47 verse 1 says, Afterward he brought, brought me again unto the door of the house, speaking of the millennial temple, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. So Ezekiel is being shown the conditions at the Millennial Temple and how, and this is letter C, the Holy Spirit becomes overflowing, healing waters. So these physical conditions are a Bible type, a picture of the Spirit's intended spiritual operation through the believer. You want to be progressive. Be progressive in sanctification. 
Watch, verse 3, And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand, into where the water is flowing out toward, he measured a thousand cubits. And he brought me through the waters, the waters were to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, the waters were to the knees. Again he measured a thousand and brought me through, the waters were to the loins. Afterward he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. So that water, the work of the Holy Spirit from the Millennial Temple, pictures the work of the Spirit through the normal Christian life. Who, the normal believer whose body is now the sanctuary of the Holy Ghost. And I'm just telling you, I think based upon New Testament King James Bible doctrine, that whatever the Holy Spirit is doing through the, through the temple in the millennium should not hold a candle to what he's doing through the believer in this dispensation. So it's our seventh point from study. From the Holy Spirit temple of your body are to issue ever-increasing streams of divine water in this life to give life and healing to the world. Verse 6, And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. Didn't exist before. But now that that river is flowing, then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go through the desert into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea. All they had to do was get into that wicked, dirty, polluted sea and the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Do you want to know how to complete the Great Commission? You better factor in everything God has clearly given to you that he has said that you have. Spirit filling has to produce spirit overflowing. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ezekiel shows us how this water comes from one direction to meet any need. And we become fishers of men using the fruit from the trees that grow along the banks and now you see why spiritual circumcision of your flesh, in which sin dwells, being mortified and cut away from your soul, where the Holy Spirit dwells, is so important. So when you are controlled by the Spirit, worship wells up into praise, which is a practical manifestation of the filling becoming the flowing. And it happens so naturally that next, next, and this is, I understand this is politically incorrect, but next, verse 21, Ephesians 5, you submit yourselves, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Let's get the Holy Spirit in control of us. Because fielding the provision of the Spirit means, and this is number four, you are submitted to the authority of Christ through the structure of His church. Keep your finger here, but go to, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Because the fourth key provision is when the Holy Spirit controls, you are enabled to submit. Submit to whom? Well, to one another. Well, how can I do that? Because you fear God. And doesn't this go counter to our culture today? Well, when the Holy Spirit is in control, you obey Christ instead of your pride. You yield at the sign. Which, which is there to tell you some circumstances at this roundabout, you know, there may be another car coming. You yield to them. Let them have the right of way. See, we now see by this third factor how it puts down our pride. Watch Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. But you know, I read that word end, and I thought, this does not mean finish. And I knew I was teaching out here today, and I knew you all are a sophisticated, cultivated crowd. Swab and debonair with wavy hair. And I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher, so I, you know, I'd have to go home and do my homework. So I performed an exegetical investigation of that word end. And you know, I discovered from the James gang, let me hit you with this definition, that end means the result, the outcome, and even the way out to a new destination. Because the James gang, James gang also translates it the way to escape. A way to escape. I mean, read any version you want. But you really go back to the Stone Age if you do not study from a King James Bible. The trade-off is between, okay, it's between readability and accuracy. But you can gain comprehension easily from the King James if you just study and take it brick by brick and take it word by word and take it line by line like kind of like Isaiah t tells you how you're supposed to study, little here and little there, and adding one on top of another, but you cannot gain comprehension from what is readable because it's not accurate. So they do not even claim to give you the certainty of the words of truth. They change that verse. And my concern for you is, how do you escape the pride and the dysfunctional sin to which we so often succumb? It is by submitting to the ones who are showing you what to do and not do from the very words of God. And you have to. You have to do that because that is how the Spirit provides. So watch. All, all I'm doing is learning you Bible. Okay, so Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. And next clause, they happen to watch for your souls as they that must give account about watching for your soul. And you want to make sure that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Because if they have to come to the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, Jesus says, you know, what about Joe? 
oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I mean, I did everything I could, and I just, something, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it was my fault. It was my mistake. And, and Joe, you know, he just didn't even make it. Oh, no. No, no, that's not, that's not unprofitable for you. That's unprofitable for him. Whatever grief you may carry to the judgment seat of Christ on behalf of others who have hurt you because they did not follow through on the type of things that we're seeing in this conference, that's not your fault, but that will be on them. You don't want to be one of those persons causing that grief. So, what does that really mean in practice? Well, it means that when you're filled with the Spirit, you don't have to have your own way. When you're under the Spirit's control, the only way you have to have is Christ's way. Got to have that way. And Christ's way takes precedence over both your ways and all of our ways. Now, let me illustrate that irrefutable idea because let's say that you were raised as an only child and you were spoiled rotten and mom and dad gave you everything that you ever wanted and they never made you mind. But you enlisted. You're in the army now, so what do you do? Well, when they tell you to get up, you get up. Because nobody gets out of boot camp alive except good soldiers that get up when they're told to get up. So you take your sergeant aside and you patiently explain to, to him, look, I'm really not a morning person. I like to sleep in late. But you know what? You find out that is irrelevant to the training of a good soldier. Because when you joined the army, you set aside your personal agenda and your personal schedule. You know, and your parents may still kowtow to you, but your parents are not here. So when you joined the army, the needs of America became the agenda. So, so what the officer orders, you submit to as an agenda bigger than you. Why? Because... That is what furthers the commander's intent. Now, that's what you ought to be concerned about. And fortunately, we train that flexibility into the officers in, in, um, in our armed services so that they understand, you know, the order might have been to do this, but you've really got to fulfill the commander's intent. And you might be able to technically fulfill the order, but if you didn't get to the commander's intent, it's not going to be any good. And you know, there are times when you might have to ignore the order to get to the commander's intent, and that's going to be all right, because th that's what we're about. But now hold on, hold on, because now it's lunchtime. And now you learn why it is called mess hall. Because you are certain that you entered strip steak on the menu card. <laughs> what they're giving you is beanie weenie. So you say, excuse me, I'm, I'm really not into this today. That gives me gas. And you know what you discover is that's not the point. Point is, the armory has more people to feed than just you. So your appetite is not the only thing on the agenda. So while brown beans and rice, that's not your preference. Will you adjust your taste buds to a bigger mission if you are controlled by the Spirit? And then they assign you a uniform. I mean, that uniform takes away your entire personality because it makes you look like every single other body there. 
You must dress in operational camouflage pattern fatigues, and nothing matches that. I mean, they're not your style because your butt looks big in them. I mean, that's why you don't buy your suits off the rack. They're, they're not your color because you're a fall or summer and doesn't match the eyeshadow that you want to put on or the, the socks you want to wear that day. But the point is not your preference or what looks good on you. The point is that the officer who commands said, put on your helmet today. It doesn't matter you just got a perm. You've got to dress in uniform. So, Christian, you have got to take off the old man. You've got to put on your Easter dress, the new man. And since we all put on Christ, in that sense, we should all look like each other when we are armed and in our armor. It's 11 o'clock at night. Sergeant says, lights out. You say, wait a minute, the jimmies are coming on. I mean, I always watch Kimmel for the opening monologue, and then, you know, I turn to Fallon for the last half, and I never miss James Corden. So your sergeant explains to you, there, there's another agenda on the floor here, and you need to renege on your preference, and you need to defer to the bigger agenda, because we've decided it is best for your unit to go to bed at the same time. So if you're in an army, you submit, because otherwise you pay a consequence. But when you are controlled by the Spirit, you submit. And there may be a consequence if you do not. But mainly, mainly because of the goal of the glory of Jesus Christ through the church. And that is more important than your personal preference. So in the final analysis, the provision of the Spirit is such, and this is number five, that your relationships prove Spirit-filling. When the Holy Spirit takes over, He baptizes you in the supernatural ability to submit in your church relationships and your human relationships so that they flow right and they glorify Him. And they have to flow right because ministry runs on the rails of relationships. I don't know how you minister to anybody you don't have a relationship with. How do you get the gospel to anybody? You've got to at least start talking to them, I guess. I mean, maybe you could just do like we used to do back in the day and feel good about it. You know, you learned how to take a tract and drive down the street. And that if you threw it out, you know, like this, it would go to the person on that side of the car. And, you know, and if you could, you know, do it right down low, it'd go, it'd go underneath and then end up to the person on that side of the car, okay, and, you know, and sometimes people get saved from things like that. I, I'm not throwing shade on that. I'm, I'm just saying that, that I, I, you know, that is not how, how Philip did it in the Ethiopian's chariot. He, he actually kind of got up in the chariot with him and started talking. So if the relationships are not right, ministry doesn't run. And your ministry is an agenda a whole ways bigger than your personal preference. You know what would happen if we took that mentality? I mean, if we actually got into an argument about who's going to serve, about who's going to lead by going lower. Because when you are controlled by the Spirit, you are willing to give up those self-preferences. 
So three relationships, here in Ephesians 5, three relationships prove the provision of spirit filling. So along with praise, this is the practical approval of your baptism filling and flowing. These are the tangible, visible manifestations. Paul gives three relationships where he examines the practical application of spirit filling when it occurs in your life. First, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. How? As unto the Lord. This is letter A. Relationship number one is marriage, in which you give up your rights and defer them to the Lord. You fear the Lord. So you submit to the Lord, and therefore, in that same way, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You love your wife because you are responding to the Lord. And if you forget that, then as soon as you are not controlled by the Spirit, you unglorify the Lord. I think so. And as soon as you forget the Lord, you don't submit, and you stop loving But if both of you are controlled by the Spirit, you are seeing the Lord. That means there's nothing you cannot overcome. No marital conflict is so bad or so deep that if I can't get both members to be controlled by the Spirit, that it will not be overcome. The only reason it looks insurmountable is because you're trying to battle the problem and getting offended at the problem instead of being filled with the Spirit in response to the problem. So the only reason your problem is insurmountable is because you don't have supernatural help. Well, what the Holy Spirit brings is the power of mutual submission. Why? Because the cause of Christ is more important than my happiness. Now that is politically incorrect. Because allegedly I have an unalienable right from God to have liberty specifically to pursue my happiness. So, verse 1 of Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What's the letter B? Relationship number two is family. Verse 4, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, in a biblically functioning family, everyone is under someone. I mean, Christ is under God, and the husband is under Christ, and the wife is under the husband, and children are under the mother, and the father has a special submission in his relationship of submission to all of them, I would say. So then, verse 5, servants. Well, that's relationship number three. It's employment. Because everyone who has a job knows they are a slave. So, verse 5, Be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, because the ultimate issue is Christ in your career. So likewise, verse 9, And ye masters, if you are management... Will you do the same things? Oh, really? I got to do obedience and fear and trembling and singleness of heart unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect to persons with him. Ultimately, God is in charge and even masters have a master. And we cannot talk about the Holy Spirit without recognizing there's a bigger agenda than us. 
So our final point for study is this. This is number, number eight. There is a mega agenda. There is a super agenda of the glory of God through His Son Jesus, by His body, the church, being controlled by His Spirit. So that the Trinity is operating through all of society where men and women are equal and yet everyone has a different rank and a different role as God has placed them, like in the family. So you have a father and husband in the home who's responsible for the vision and the direction of the family. And you have a wife and a mother who is to express and declare and communicate that vision within the home. And you have, you have children who make it sure that that vision and that direction is implemented across generations. And then you have workers and managers who put it in operation in the society itself. You know, I don't know about you, but I thought, I thought 2021 would be an etch-a-sketch year. You know, I thought I'd be able to take 2020, flip it over, shake it, and I have a clean slate. I thought it'd be an etch-a-sketch year, and instead, it turned into extension year. And one thing I know about chronic pain is this. It will make you want to renormalize. Chronic pain will. Um, we have normalized, in, in, not just in uh, evangelicaldom, but within Baptisthood, we have normalized non-mystical behavior because we've lost the power of the Spirit. And just like on the personal level, we therefore, in our ecclesiastical systems, prop it up with other things. So in place of scriptural mysticism, we act just like unbelievers in our behavior. We need to renormalize our lives to the truth of this conference. Because the Holy Spirit will only engage your life if you are a spiritual being, being spiritual. Hello, somebody. His adjective is holy. Well, don't let that scare you off. Because holy simply means a relationship rail that ministry runs on. Holiness does not mean sinlessness. It means you are in proper relationship to God's mission. So the good thing about the Spirit not having a name and only an adjective is He passes that adjective on to you when you get involved with Him. Now, you know, I think a good preacher would have connected, if I were a good preacher, I would have connected the provision of the Holy Spirit to evangelism and then provision of the Holy Spirit to missions and then provision of the Holy Spirit to discipleship, but I'm not that good. Um, let, me, let me just connect it then to discipleship. Do not default to the flesh in discipleship. I mean, let's keep that constant vigilance against a programmatic approach in discipleship. You know, I think in some sense we, we suffer from not learning from the gun magazines and Better Homes and Garden or whatever. We, we suffer from not learning from the magazine racks 
because it doesn't matter. It can be a hunting magazine. But every second issue, every third issue, they're going to have some article on concealed carry. And, the, you know, and all of them, they just, they, they have these certain basic ideas to the theme of their publication. And all they do is run, rerun those basic ideas all the time. A little different title, saying, you know, a different author, saying it a little different way. But all they do is rerun that and rerun that again. And I think that that is our problem. We've not learned from that because they do that more regularly than we do in the basics. And you know, it doesn't matter how many lessons your church happens to use. It doesn't matter. If it's 16, if it's 18, if it's 20. Discipleship isn't the lessons, it's the four goals. Because they adhere to the mission of the Great Commission. So discipleship is, don't get hung up on the lessons. I mean, you gotta get hung, you gotta use the lessons. I mean, that's the way I feel about it as a pastor. We gotta have a curriculum. Otherwise, some of you crazy people would be teaching some crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? We've gotta have an alphabet that we all go to and utilize in order to write. We, we just have to be able to do that. So, 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 you know what you need to do is take discipleship and overlay it on the top of your life. So that if you want to walk in the Spirit, use the Scriptures, take discipleship, leave here, go out every day, and every day you are looking for illustrations of some point at some place in those discipleship lessons, and that's your life. Your life is simply to look for. How's God, what is this an illustration of? What point is that illustrating? I mean, new believers need to know about how to pray, and they need to know what the Word of God is, and they need to know about the Holy Spirit, and I need to not just communicate and teach, because discipleship's not teaching, it's passing on life. But I've got to use those lessons. So I gotta take my life and I gotta put my personality in those lessons by taking them where God has led me in my growth and bringing them along to follow. This, I mean, this, put your own personality into it and put it, put it in relationship Put it from the perspective of your personal experience. As you're reading the Bible, you know, you may find better cross-references than some of the references I would give in, in my discipleship lessons. Well, okay, use that one instead. I mean, don't teach everything you know. This, I mean, practically speaking, when we talk about discipleship on that first phase level, Jesus did that in about nine months. And that's only the first three phases of seven he went through in his discipleship of his men. So, okay, don't, you know, teach everything you know, but feel free to put yourself in what you know. Hear, 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 hear what the Spirit saith unto all the churches, including Philadelphia and Laodicea, become an overcomer. 
So let's renormalize our lives. Because if you are controlled by the Spirit, some provisions emanate. The first one is baptism brings you boldness to witness. The second one is filling makes your body His temple. The third one is flowing by validating your praise in practice. The fourth one is your submission for the mission of ministry. And the final one is being filled in your marriage, in your family, in your work as a manifestation of your profession. You know, the Holy Spirit teaches you that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But really, Jesus plus the Holy Spirit equals everything. And it's not, it's not Jesus in baptism. It's not Jesus in mass. If you, if you are giving Jesus controlling authority of your life because you are trusting in his finished work to cover the sinfulness of your life so that God can forgive you, then, then, then you can start trusting in his finished Bible to make you grow. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What will you do? What will you do with the message that the Holy Spirit has expressed and has exposed you to at this conference? Obviously, first off, has God, or do you understand that God has, put you in Christ and the Holy Spirit in you? Are you living by all the implications? Are you willing to be something different this year? And if the year's not been an Etch-a-Sketch, but an extension, at least make your life an Etch-a-Sketch. Do not extend the dysfunction you walked in with. Because the Holy Ghost gives you power. Go ahead and stand. Bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again, Lord. I thank you for the mastery of your word. I thank you how through your word your Holy Spirit wants to master us. I thank you you've given us everything we need for that to be done. Lord, you separated us. I mean, talk about biblical separation. You separated our soul and spirit from the flesh when we got saved. We don't have to put up with that anymore. But in order to have the victory, in order to overcome, we've got to hear what the Spirit's saying. We've got to pay attention to the Spirit. Lord, we so needed the conference that you've led us to and you've given us, and we've so needed this topic of the Holy Spirit, and we've so needed the things we've seen in each session, and Lord, these are refreshing things. These are life-giving things. I pray that as we go out here, even as the water of the Spirit seeks to go along out with us, Lord, help us. Help us spread life, right hand and left. On the right hand and on the left, let us, let us bear such fruit that our life will become for the healing of the nations starting with our family and our own job and our own community and through this church. And Lord, if you call us and send us out someplace else, then 
all the more, let us, let us extend the life. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.